0: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 112. If you're a sometimes open a Bible, sometimes not kind of person, I would encourage you to open it today. We will be looking there a lot. It's page 506, I believe, in the Pew Bible. And as you're turning there, I just wanna say corporately thank you. I've been able to thank subsets of the church, but this past fall, this internship uh, has impacted all the days that the Lord would give me to shepherd people uh, for many years, Lord willing, many years to come. And so, my family and our future churches are very grateful for your investment in us. Psalm 112 is is centered around the fear of the Lord, whether that's enduring in righteousness, rather that's our prayers for endurance, it all starts with fearing the Lord. So, I was trying to think of an illustration, without getting into heresy, on fearing the Lord, and... Going to go with the marketers at AT and T. They've got a pretty good campaign going right now with "just okay is not okay," and one of their recent ones is an airplane, and the person is about to jump out of an airplane for the first time, and they're uh, attached, you know, to a tandem jumper, and they're terrified. Sadly, their tandem jumper is also terrified. And, but, but when you're about to jump out of an airplane, that's pretty reasonable. And, and the dichotomy I want to talk about today is jumping out of an airplane with a parachute and preferably a tandem jumper versus just being about to fall out of an airplane. Now I have no idea why somebody would go up in the air 14,000 feet and decide that the best thing to do is jump out, parachute or not. Uh, I can't relate to that. But, but and before you say well. Wait a minute, Bill. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? I believe that God sovereignly gave me enough sense not to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. But I think it does work. So if you were going to do that, as you think about jumping out of this airplane, it's a it's a reverence of the space below you. It's, a, it's some kind of a rush. It's a fear. It is, we overuse this word in society, but it is awesome to think about jumping out of this airplane and falling for 60 seconds, and then the chute goes, and whatever happens after that, versus the terror of, for whatever reason, going out of an airplane any other way. That's a different kind of fear. And so as we think through Psalm 112 today, we're going to think about the Approaching something awesome with confidence versus approaching something awesome with no hope at all So I want to read well, I want to give you a little context for Psalm 112 then I'm going to read it and we'll dig in So Psalm 111 and 112 most likely same author. They're both acrostics so each line in each psalm begins with consecutive letters in the Hebrew alphabet so They're both poems. The first, uh, Psalm 111, tells us about God's character and his works. Psalm 112 tells us about the character and impact of God fearing people. Verse 10 of Psalm 111 even sets the stage for this fear of the Lord when it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that kind of attaches to the text we're going to look at today. The outline I want to give you before we read uh, three sections. First thing we'll talk about is seek to fear. We need to seek to fear the Lord, and we'll see that in verses 1 and 10. Second, endure in fear. And we'll see that in verses 2 to 8, endure in fear. And then third, give from fear, from verse 9, give from fear. Hear God's word from Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Would you pray with me? Father, we join the psalmist and we say, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We are so glad to gather in your house. We are so glad to be your people. We are so glad for the finished work of Jesus Christ that we, as we sung about earlier, might have a strong and perfect plea. And so, Lord, we come in his name, asking for your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to your word, that we might be conformed more to the image of your son. We pray in his name. Amen. Ideally, I would get to the climax of my sermon 25 minutes in, but... Not every sermon is ideal, so we're going to go straight to the climax. And I'm going to tell you what Psalm 112 is about. Psalm 112, the blessed man, is the man Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. And what I want to do is very quickly walk you through Psalm 112 and show you how Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 112, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it from original context perspective as well as what it means for us today. So, I'm just going to ask you some questions, and that's why I ask you to have your your Bible open if you were on the fence on that, because we're going to look at it a couple of times here. But blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Who feared the Lord? Perfectly. Who truly, greatly delighted in his commandments? His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Whose offspring? Whose offspring are going to be a blessing to the nations? Jesus. Wealth and riches are in his house. Now, that one was kind of hard because in Jesus' earthly ministry, he was known to be homeless. But wealth and riches just applies abundance. I mean, It implies abundance. Jesus walked this life with an abundance. He knew he had everything he needed. He was well-resourced by his father for his mission. He was wealthier, not like we count wealth, but he was wealthier than anyone who ever walked. And then verse 3 is key, or the 3B, excuse me, and his righteousness endures forever. Look back with me, perhaps you have to turn the page, but just Psalm 111, I'd said that this was about exalting the Lord. I want to read the first three verses to you so I can prove my point about Jesus. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. Wait a minute. Does the Lord's righteousness endure forever? Or does the blessed man's righteousness endure forever? Friends, we have gathered today to worship the God-man, Jesus God himself took on flesh. He is the blessed man. We continue, verse 4, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. It dawned for our Lord Jesus. Who is gracious and merciful and righteous like Jesus? Was Abraham or Noah? No, not like Jesus. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Who has been more generous than our Lord Jesus? Who conducts every affair with justice? For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Our Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, surely to be remembered forever. Not afraid of bad news, a firm heart, trusting the Lord, steady, not afraid, looking in triumph on his adversaries. He's described... The life of our Lord Jesus, distributed freely, given to the poor. Again, his righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Who has loved the poor like our Lord Jesus? Who has given like our Lord Jesus? Whose horn is exalted in honor like our Lord Jesus? Friend, Psalm 112 points us to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're visiting with us today, if you're contemplating Christianity, I want you to know that this is the reason we've gathered. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we as humankind rebelled against God. We chose our own way, and God never gave up on his creation. Rather, he sent a promise that one day he would send a Messiah, and that Messiah was born some 2,000 years ago. That Messiah's name was Jesus. He lived a perfect life that you or I could never live. He did Miracles pointing towards a day when all would be made right once again in this world. He uh, carried a ministry through small towns and villages. He was with sinners and outcasts. And then one day the religious people didn't, well, actually the whole time they didn't like him, but one day they finally got him before a Roman court. And on trumped up charges, he was sentenced to death. And this generous one, this righteous one, this gracious one, laid down his life. He chose to go to a cross at a place called Calvary and lay down his life in place of all those who would put their faith and trust in him. That's why we've gathered. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why people put money in the offering plate. That's why this building was erected. It's because (laughs) Jesus Christ entered into our brokenness and has saved us from our sins. And if you're contemplating Jesus today, it is faith and repentance in him alone for salvation. This righteous God that we are talking about, going before him after you die one day is like jumping out of an airplane with no parachute. It's not a good option. It is terrifying with no hope. And God in his righteousness is terrifying and in his glory and in his majesty, he's made a way for us to have peace with him. As the psalmist said in verse one, praise the Lord. If you're in here today and and, and you feel like you would be going before God without this Jesus, there is a room full of people in here who would love to talk to you after church today. We would love to just tell you what he's done for us or answer any questions you have. So as we continue to look at this psalm together, it's really geared toward those who have put their faith and their trust in this blessed man. So I turn your attention back to verse 1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. The blessed state. Under God's blessing is the man. We could think here of Psalm 1. The same language used in Psalm 1, another wisdom psalm. But this, this is how we were created to live. This is how you and I want to live. We want to be under God's blessing. And God tells us exactly how to live that way. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Now fear is, again, we usually associate it with this jumping out of the airplane, scared. I don't know what's going to happen. But but this this fear is a humble awe of God. Verse 10 of chapter 111 described it as the beginning of wisdom. It makes sense. To see God, to, to acknowledge God on his throne is the way for his people to walk wisely in his creation. That is the way. It we, I like think I mentioned earlier, we overuse the word awesome in society, but, but God inspires all out of us. It, it is inspiring great admiration, apprehension, or fear. It's going to be one of those ways. Admiration, if we're coming before this incredible thing that we can't imagine on good terms, or incredible fear if we're coming on bad terms. And throughout this text, we'll be unpacking what fearing the Lord looks like uh, as we seek to endure in righteousness. This blessed man also greatly delights in his law. He greatly delights in his commandments. I think this is a heart check for us this morning. If you do not love these commandments, if you do not love God's word, you are believing a lie about who God is. This God Reigns in heaven. He's proven his love for us in this blessed man, in this Jesus Christ. He, he alone knows all things. He knows what it is for human flourishing. He, knows, he alone knows your pain. He alone knows your story. He, he has written his book. He has given us his book that we might delight in saying, yes, Lord, your throne. Okay, to, to worship your throne, to trust you. It looks like knowing and living by your word. Yes, Lord. Greatly delighting in his law. This concept is contrasted by verse 10, and these verses serve to bookend our chapter. Uh, verse 10 says, The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. The wicked man sees the way of the righteous man and he despises it. But God's word is sure, and the desire of the wicked man will perish. There's only two options in how we are going to approach God's Word when He says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. We either fear the Lord or we fear anything else. And to fear the Lord is to look to Him, to look to Him in reverence rather than dread. If you're here this morning and you this resonates with you and but you say, I don't really greatly delight in the law of God. It's good, I read it, but I don't greatly delight. I want to encourage you to let this reality fuel your pursuit of the Lord, whether it's your quiet time, whether it's corporate worship, whether it's acts of service, whether it's sanctification and confessing sin. Do you believe God at his word that this is the way to the blessed life? resolve yourself to get to his throne room over and over again just to come back to God as as the one worthy of all of our affections, of all of our resources, of all of our pursuits. Not out of duty, but by faith. By faith that his word is good, that it's true, and that truly the blessed man is the one who fears the Lord. And if you're struggling with that, I encourage you to remember the blessed man the true blessed man. Remember Jesus. See, Psalm 112 is really about tandem skydiving. What makes the commercial work for AT&T is there's this guy, and he's apparently done this once before. And I don't know what the training process is for tandem skydivers, but that doesn't seem sufficient. But another thing about this guy is He's not a spring chicken. So I feel like he might have failed at a few careers. It'd be one thing if he just loved skydiving all his life and was like, I'm going to do this. But this guy looks like he failed in a few careers. And I was like, well, I'll try skydiving out. And, and, and he's, the, he's the guy you're hitching your wagon to in that, in that plane. No, as Christians, we are tandem skydiving with the Lord Jesus Christ, the the author and perfecter of our faith. So that's verse 1. That's that's. What we're looking at, the next two things really flow out of verse 1. So when we fear the Lord, we are able to endure. sermon title is a prayer for endurance. We want to last. We want to be righteous. We want to be fruitful and faithful. And then we're also able to give. So we're going to look at how fearing the Lord leads to endurance and righteousness in verses 2 through 8. So this chapter could really be applied or was applied originally to Old Testament saints. This chapter was written some 3,000 years ago, well before Jesus came on the picture. And these Old Testament saints were looking forward to a Messiah. They were looking forward to the one that all the sacrifices pointed to. They were looking forward to how God would provide for them a true righteousness. And we get to look at it pointing back now. So Old Testament saints had faith looking forward. New Testament saints have faith looking back to Jesus who walked among us. So both of those things, in both cases, we are looking uh, to the truly blessed man, whether before Christ or after Christ. So the flow of the argument for verses 2 through 8, when God has his rightful place in our hearts and minds, verse 2 shows we, we, we know his plan will not be thwarted. Says his offspring will be mighty in the land, the generation of the upright will be blessed. Offspring mighty in the land. This goes all the way back to Genesis 1. God's plan from the beginning was that Adam and Eve would go forth and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God's plan with Noah was to raise up a righteous people. God's plan with Abraham was that he would be the father of many nations and that through through all, um, through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So, this is God's continuing story, never thwarted, never even in our brokenness, even in how Adam sinned and Noah sinned and Abraham sinned. God's plan stood firm. His offspring will be mighty in the land. Today, as as children of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, we continue to go forth and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We continue to be a blessing to God's creation as those created in His image, recreated in the image of His Son. To be the generation of the upright will be blessed. It just affirms this entire psalm. This is the way of the blessed life. You raise up your offspring. You raise up the next generation in the way of fearing the Lord, in the way of righteousness or being upright. That's the way of blessing. Now, it's not inevitable blessing. It doesn't mean that every godly parent only raises godly children, but it is the normative way that God blesses his creation. The normative way that one generation goes to the next is by a people who fear God the Lord. Not only will God's plan not be thwarted, but he will resource his people. As we see in verse three, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. God's plan is to fill the earth and he will resource his people according to his plan. He will resource his people appropriately. We have to remember that God is on his throne. He is not lacking for resources. He is not worried that his people will somehow one day become an under-resourced people. It doesn't mean that we're the richest people in the land, but just like Jesus had an abundance because of his Father, so we have an abundance because we share that Father. Mount Vernon Baptist Church may last another 50 years, 200 years, may last until the Lord comes. We don't know, but Mount Vernon Baptist Church will not fail because God runs out of resources. He sits on his throne, and wealth and riches are in his house, and we are his children. Now, some of you may be feeling under resourced right now. If you're feeling under resourced or life is generally hard for you, know that there is still darkness for the upright. Look at verse 4. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. So for light to dawn, that implies darkness. There, there has to be a reason for light to need to dawn, and that happens in the blessed life, or the blessed person's life. In fact, it happened to Jesus. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence or fear. So if you find yourself this morning uttering loud cries and tears because life is not going like you would have intended it, you are in good company. If you are crying out to the same father Jesus cried out to. And ultimately, I want you to know this morning that it doesn't get any darker than the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was the man who lent his tomb to Jesus. And for two nights and three days, there was complete darkness. But light dawned for that blessed man, and light will dawn for all of those who fear the Lord. Light will dawn, it could be three days, it could be three decades, it will happen in the resurrection, but light will dawn for God's children. We have a tandem diver in this life, and he knows what it is to cry out. He knows what it is to seemingly not be heard. He knows what it is for light to dawn in the darkness. Verse 5 goes on, excuse me, verse 4 goes on. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. Not surprisingly, God's people will be like God, Our godly people will be like God. The blessed man, the righteous man, the one who fears God, and, and lives according to his law will, will be gracious and merciful and righteous. This man's blessings overflow to others around him. This is not that the, the holiest people, the most blessed people, live in the biggest houses and have the nicest things. It's not that kind of blessing. No, this blessing goes out. What is grace and mercy except for outward focused blessings? These struggles for you this morning? If we are consistently looking to the throne of grace and worship, we will emulate that which we worship. We will emulate the grace and mercy and righteousness that comes from the throne. When we meditate on the resurrection of Jesus, we will be empowered to live graciously and mercifully. In light of God being on his throne, his purposes being unthwartable, his abundant resources, the inevitable light found in belonging to him, we deal generously and lend. Verse 5, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. You see, we follow the example of our older brother, Jesus. We're going to talk more about generosity in verse 9 in a minute. But I want to focus now on who conducts his affairs with justice. You see, the wealth and the blessing that God's people often experience can tempt us to overpower the weak. But not the truly blessed man. Not the one who fears the Lord. When we consider God's throne, when we consider his worth and who he is, what else are we going to do but treat others with justice? When we contemplate on the justice of God, it will flow into others' lives and the way we, we treat them. See, injustice happens when the wrong little g, lowercase g, God, gets on our th- the throne of our heart. Injustice happens when this little g, God, is is threatened, and so we have to treat someone unjustly to protect what's so important to us. But when God is on his throne... <laughs> He is not transient. He cannot be thwarted. We, when he is the treasure of our lives, we need not treat someone with injustice because we don't have anything to protect. God will protect himself. It may seem at times that it's going well for the person who does not conduct their affairs with justice. Or is not generous. Verse 5 says it is well with a man, but there will be there will be times wherein it's well with the man who is not living this way. And there will be times when the Christian is tempted to be jealous, to be envious of how their life is going. I want to challenge you to take that to the Lord. Take that to the Lord and say, and just confess it, Lord, I am, I am envious of how life is going for this person who's not pursuing you. There's sin under that. that there's, there's something in your, in your soul that's saying, God, you're not enough. What they have, that's enough. And we got to confess that sin and we go to the throne of grace and there we find mercy. You say, well, a lot of times my temptations are because I have to provide for my family. It's about provision. I've got to make this deal work even though it's not an up and up deal because I've got to provide. Take it to the throne of grace. Who is the provider? Who is the good provider? Can you provide better for your family than God on high? We can deal generously and justly because we will never be moved. Verse six For the righteous will never be moved, he will be remembered forever. I'm not talking about being remembered by your great grandkids. I don't think that's almost is either. We're talking about being remembered by the only one who matters. Remembered forever by our maker, by our sustainer, by our savior. We will be remembered forever as God's children. We need not fear being moved. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Those seem like legitimate concerns, each one of them. But the emphatic answer to Paul's question is absolutely no one will separate us from the love of Christ. No one can separate us from what God has done. The righteous will never be moved, remembered forever. Blood bought, brought into the family of God, made one of his own. Because we can never be moved, we are not afraid of bad news. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. A heart is firm. It's not soft. It's not wavering. It's not unattached. It's trusting in the Lord. It's having nothing to lose. It's going up in the uh, airplane that I don't want to go up into, and all of a sudden you have engine problems, but you're tandem with Jesus, and you remember, oh, yeah, he holds the entire universe together by the word of his power. That's how we are to live. That's how our heart is to be firm. That's how we are not to be afraid of bad news. Fear of bad news creeps in when our gaze moves from the throne to some other throne, some little throne in our heart. And that's okay in a sense. I mean, it's sinful, but it's okay because of this. A struggling heart is God's kindness, to show us we have a problem. When the little gods in our heart and our soul are, are about to get knocked off, about we're about to lose control of them, it's God's kindness to say, you're settling for far too less. Those gods cannot satisfy. You don't wanna jump out of the airplane with any of those gods. What are some specific things you worried about this week? Spend some time with the Lord and tell him, perhaps in writing, what these things are. As Aaron said at the start of our service, it's not going to surprise him. Confessing your sin is not going to surprise the God who knows all things, who knows the numbers of hair on your head and knows when the sparrow falls to the ground. Ask the Lord, are these concerns righteous or sinful? Just in his presence. God, righteous, sinful, help me get rid of... Of the sinful worries and concerns in my life. I wonder how much stress and worry in your life today is about things that you objectively should not be worried about. If you would just, you know, in a worshipful hour, take them before God and, and have some clarity and go, oh yeah, God, you are the provider. You are good. You've proven your love for me in Jesus. Take, so, take care of so many things that we worry about. But again, God, in his kindness, let us all struggle with those things so that we can be reminded again and again that there is one God worthy on one throne, and he alone is to be worshipped and adored. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We have to take our worries, we have to take our concerns to the throne of grace, and we have to remember the precious blood that was spilt so that we might have a strong and perfect plea. Verse 8 says, His heart is steady, he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. A steady heart is a maintained position. If your heart is not steady this morning, then there are things keeping you from fully believing that God is on his throne and that he has proven his love for you in Christ Jesus. I have an all-too-real example for you of this. Uh, one day this week, I was here at the office and working, writing this sermon about fearing the Lord and got some Not terrible news, but not great news for uh, job prospects and just that whole process. And so then I was stressed, and I was sitting here trying to write the sermon about fearing the Lord. And I wish I could tell you like I had resolved this within a minute or two, but more than a minute or two, I eventually remember what I was writing about and fearing the Lord. And so I took my Bible, and I opened it to Ezekiel 1. Which hopefully many of you heard this sermon back in the fall as we started Ezekiel and Ezekiel's given this vision of God and it, it tells us that the vision he's given is the likeness of the glory of God and so i read about these creatures that are fundamentally the most incredible things that you could imagine and and how i would if i saw them i would immediately fall down and worship as we often see people do when they see angels uh and we can't Words can't do justice to what's happening in the scene, and these creatures are incredible. And then we find that what we thought was this incredible vision is actually an entire expanse away from the throne of God. The most wonderful thing I can imagine was an expanse away from the throne of God. And you know, I finished Ezekiel 1, I was able to focus again. Because God is on his throne, and I just need to be reminded. I needed to be reminded that he is in control, that he's proven his love for me, and that I can trust him fully. Uh, verse 8 also tells us, until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. I talked about this a minute ago where um, we may be looking at people around us who are doing it differently, who are not doing it as we understand it to be God's way, and yet they still seem blessed. And we have to confess that. We have to take it to the Lord. We have to remember his infinite worth. We can look to verse 10 and realize the way of the wicked. We do not want that. We do not want any other way. There is one way for man to live, and that is to fear the Lord. And before we move to our final point, which is the shortest point, is Some of you may feel like you're failing at one, two, or five of these things that I've said today. You may feel like you're not greatly delighting in his commandments. You're not generous. You're not trusting him. There is grace for your failure. Remember the blessed man. Remember Jesus himself chose to leave the glory of heaven and take on flesh and dwell among us. And that he was tempted in every way. That he is able to empathize with our weaknesses. Remember this Jesus. Remember what we're learning about in this God and this Jesus from 111 and 112. Righteous, uh, his righteousness endures forever. He is gracious and merciful. That is this God. We do fail, and God brings us in just like we do our children. We are God's children. Children are forgiven, children are part of the family, not a status to lose. So if you're failing this morning, there is grace for you. Go to the throne of grace and soak it up. Think about the majesty of him in heaven. Think about the price that was paid so that you might have a relationship with him. Think about the spirit that was given so that you might commune with your God all the days of your life. Well, when God is on his throne, when we are enduring in that reality, finally we are able to be generous. Generosity is one fruit, not the only fruit, but one fruit of endurance. We are able to give with fear, proper fear. Verse nine says, "He has distributed freely; he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever; his horn is exalted in honor." 2020 is the year of generosity at Mount Vernon, and if you have not read the article that's published this week, I'd encourage you again, like that other. Thing I was talking about earlier, there's um, pamphlets at a lot of the doors around the church. You could grab this article about what it means for our church to be generous in 2020. Thankfully, I don't have to get into specifics of how much you should give and who you should give it to today. I'm just, we're still focused on the heart. But we're going to use Paul's understanding of this verse to help us with some application. A steady heart is able to distribute freely and give. To distribute freely is to engage in widespread giving. Just a, a, And we're not talking speci- or only about financial giving. We're talking about giving of our lives. We're talking about opening our homes. We're talking about planning ahead so that Others may come in and enjoy fellowship with us, and if they don't know Jesus, they may hear the good news of Jesus. We're talking about being generous with our time, whether that's in a parking lot or holding a door for someone or volunteering to teach children to read. We are talking about a lifestyle of generosity that reflects the generosity of our God. The, the righteousness endures forever for this, um, for this person. It is a righteousness that reflects the righteousness of God. The righteous, That's unchanging. God has set righteousness. It, it is not subject to change. It endures forever. And he chooses to give us a glimpse of it when his people are generous. His horn is exalted in honor. That The horn symbolizes God-given dignity, peace, prosperity, success. Um, I've already said, ultimately, the horn belongs to Jesus. It's his name. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. We get to point towards this Jesus also, I'm not talking particularly, as we think about generosity, about giving to the local church. Now, Scripture makes it clear that God funds His local church through the gifts of His people. So Psalm 112 assumes that. But Psalm 112 is not, uh, is not satisfied in a weekly or monthly check. Psalm 112 is about bringing every aspect of our lives under the rightful lordship of Jesus Christ. So with that, I want you to turn in the right in your Bible, to 2 Corinthians 9 and page 968, I believe, in the Pew Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul quotes this in verse 9. We read all of chapter 9 earlier, so I just want to point out a little bit of application from how the blessed man is generous, and I figured Paul was more authoritative on this than I am. So beginning in verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Sowing sparingly is a a heart check. Again, it's another, do I trust God or not? Am I willing to sow bountifully? Am I willing to give, again, all kinds of resources, not just money, bountifully and, and trust? And it doesn't come down to I'm not talking about you give $100 to the church and you get $500 next month. I'm not talking about that kind of bound. It's, it's very different, actually. It's, am I willing to risk ostracism from my neighbors by inviting them over to my house and having them in my life and showing them that I love them only so that they can start unloading their baggage on me and drain me of energy, emotional and otherwise, for three years, and maybe they, maybe they come to know Jesus, maybe they move away, but all the while... I'm leaning into the grace and power of the Lord Jesus. It's a different kind of payoff. It is not It is not what you get back. It is getting more of God's goodness. In, in that article that I mentioned earlier that Aaron wrote, um, God is the giver. He's the giver. We distribute freely, as the psalmist said. We just say, oh, God's given me a house. I should open it. God's given me some money. I should give some. God's given me some time. I should invest it in someone. We just share what God has given. And when we when we're not generous with it, it's saying something about what we believe about God's generosity and about his love and his resources. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what I think this verse one of the things this verse means is that we are to decide what we're gonna give not at the end of the month when we're out of energy and out of resources, but on a Sunday afternoon when we're filled up after the worship of the Lord. We're to give strategically. We're to plan, uh, Paul said, as he has decided in his heart. So, so decide ahead of time. Decide while you're full of the grace of God, while you're full of, of remembering his goodness to you. Decide what kind of giver you want to be during that time. God loves a cheerful giver. We will never be a cheerful giver when there's any other little G gods on the throne. We can only be a cheerful giver when, when we realize that every good and perfect gift is from above that God has provided for us in every way we can imagine. Is God able verse eight and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is able to supply our needs. And then he quotes our verse. He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. This is the description of our God. This is what it means to fear him. When, when we When he he is on the throne of our hearts, when we acknowledge his throne room in heaven, we are able to endure knowing that nothing can thwart his plans, nothing can snatch us from his hands. And from that, we are able to distribute freely. We are able to be a generous people. Do you believe him? One last sub-point I want to make of verse 10 from Psalm 112 is that it's an evangelism opportunity. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. There will be times when the lost people around you can't place their anger. There will be times when their hopelessness is right in front of their face. There will be times when they see the end. They know that they will die and they don't have an answer for what's coming after that. And in those times we need to be prayed up asking the Lord when he opens their eyes to their brokenness that he would bring us into their story, that we might, we might be there to be able to share the good news. We need to be prayed up in such a way that we can spirit-filled um, offer them the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're in this room this morning and you find yourself identifying that way, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like, yeah, if I stood before God, it would not be with Jesus on my side. Again, I encourage you to come to me or anyone in this room that you know and trust and say, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know more about this blessed life. In conclusion, as the marketers at AT AT&T said, just okay is not okay. A right understanding of God leads leads us to fear Him with a reverence that requires a substitute a right understanding of God on his throne, we will not prance into his presence with our own righteousness, the own good things we've done. We will come only through the blood of Christ. Blessed is the man who acknowledges the holy state of God today. Blessed is the man who greatly delights that God's ways are better than his own and blessed is the man whose view of the throne room of heaven gives him clarity to live life graciously, mercifully, generously, justly, fearlessly, steadily, triumphantly, freely, and without regret. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have taught us how to live this life. And yet, Lord, we are even more grateful that it's not one chapter in a Bible, but rather you have put us with people, you've given us your spirit, you give us success and failure, just all to drive us back to you and our great need that you would redeem us. God, we dare not come into your presence with a righteousness of our own, but we are so glad to come with a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, Lord, we are grateful that the author and perfecter of our faith has entered into our brokenness and has redeemed a people for himself. Receive our worship. Change our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.